dark chocolate. You don't smell that. Uh, I totally do. It smells just like coffee and dark chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> I think stimulus is the way to go nowadays. Uh, you know, I do Stim like stimulus because they uh, they tend to too, too hard to move. Well, like if you're moving, my... they're precarious. Um, stemless glasses are more masculine, if that's your thing. I'm not saying that against you. I'm how, just saying how? in general. No, how? <laughs> um, how is that more masculine? I don't know. It's stable. Can support a family. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome so, to the Down in Front podcast. How's it going, guys? What's up? <laughs> Trying to hopefully turn around this, uh, turning your frown upside down, right set up. <laughs> Tur- turn your frown right set up. That's how the rhyme goes, right? No, no. It's turn your frown, frown upside down. That, turn that frown the other way around. That upside that down. doesn't rhyme though. I thought it was turn that frown the other upside down, right side up thing. No, turn your frown upside down, which makes it a smile. I am Warren, right side up, your host for frown. this evening's episode. So thanks so much for tuning in to the Down and Frown podcast, where you can find a bunch of our works. And what we hear, what we do here is kind of review movies, TVs, games, basically anything that's nerdy with a bunch of best friends. We all go around, kind of have a sip of whatever we are drinking and talk about a feature show or a feature movie for that particular week. Uh, tonight, I am here with a bunch of my best friends as always and I would love to introduce him we have Mr. The Mouth of the South Bradley how's it going man what's up how's it going tonight good 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 to see you as always thanks for hanging out with us tonight would oh, you thank you what you uh, sipping on and what you been watching uh, I am sipping on since I am a classy southern gentleman from many generations of southern gentry uh, the gentleman Jack nice fun fact about uh, Jack Daniels, um, he died when he kicked a safe and got his toe infected. That's a bummer. Yeah. Um, fun fact: that bottle was full last time we saw it, so that's awesome. Good, good for you. Good for you on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, what I've been watching is recently I watched The Founder on Netflix. This is the dramatization of the uh, telling of. The history of McDonald's and how it became the American icon that it is today. Uh, and it primarily focuses on Ray Kroc, who is the person that kind of made McDonald's into the fast food empire that it is today. That didn't necessarily invent all the systems that made it successful. That was the McDonald's brothers. Hmm. But it talks about that relationship we had with them and what I really like about this movie is when I first, before I first saw it, a lot of people were like, it just shows the ills of capitalism. And I'm glad that it's not just that one-sided of a story. That it actually shows that whoever dreams up something, that they may not necessarily be the best person to actually see it through to make it happen. And it's actually a tale about persistence versus acceptance. Are you going to just go ahead and accept that you can't go any further with the dream you have? Or are you going to actually persist to see how far you can go? And I think it creates a really cool dichotomy of different uh, ideals about business uh, going forward with that. Nice. I mean, it sounds awesome. And that's something that you said on Netflix? Yeah, it's on Netflix. Nice. And do you know uh, who's starring that one? 
Michael Keaton, and he is amazing as Ray Kroc. Nice, cool. Yeah, so I'm so glad Michael Keaton is having a re- is having his own personal renaissance. Yeah. he is such a good actor. Uh, Keaton yeah. Assange. I'll work on that. Oh, is, uh, I got to workshop. <laughs> I, I'll workshop that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The the key Ooh, ooh, I like that. Hashtag key We're gonna we're gonna do that. We're gonna use that. <laughs> cool. Well, as always, I appreciate you, and I'm really excited to talk about Game of Thrones because I know that we have been exploding inside trying to talk about this since our last episode of our mid season recap. So, uh, super pumped to uh, kind of finish it up and kind of give the audience what they want give them what they want i have my best friend the guy everyone loves the sexy mike mr mocha mike how's it going man vala mogulis friends vala uh, hires hey um it's going pretty well i'm excited to finally have made it to a recording for a Game of Thrones episode you guys have done a couple since i joined the team and i haven't been a part of any of them Good. So I'm excited to finally be here since I'm almost as nerdy about Game of Thrones as I am about Marvel, like, knowledge in general. Yeah, we're super pumped um, pro- 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 to have you. What you been watching? What you been sipping on? Yeah, so as for what I'm sipping on, I've got myself a uh, nice dark Dornish red. Ooh. Uh, specifically, specifically, it's Apothic Dark. Nice. Um, as longtime listeners of the pod will know, we're some big fans of Apothic over here. This is my first time drinking this. And I got to read the description on the back because it sounds like something that Melisandre would say in one of her weird, one of her weird, creepy, mysterious moments. But <clears throat> here we go. There's a romance in the darkness. It draws our curiosity and beckons a desire to taste the unknown. So yeah, shout out Apothic Dark for its creepy slash slightly arousing descriptions of its wine. Shout out for Apothic <laughs> Dark too. Dark and full of terrors. <laughs> oh, nice. Yes. Shout out for Apothic Dark for actually um, uh, sponsoring us, the Down in Front Podcast. Uh, hashtag sip to that. Also with that, friends with blends. I'll let you boy. Ha- hashtag not really. <laughs> hashtag please pay us. Uh, <laughs> hashtag please. Please pay That's us. For- that's for what I've been watching. I recently binged in like a probably like a forty-eight hour period, uh, seasons two and three of BoJack Horseman on Netflix. Uh, I did this because season four is airing next Friday, so I'm really excited about that. For anyone who doesn't know, BoJack Horseman is this amazing uh, animated comedy that is about is that is about a washed-up uh, actor who is a horse. Um, who was really big in a couple of decades back in a sitcom and now is super rich and sort of lives this life where he's trying to find meaning um, but ultimately is always confronted with the fact that he hates who he is and he's like a, not necessarily the best person at his core. Um, it's really dark comedy. It's way serious. Some of the episodes that like hit some emotional triggers that are just a bit too real mm-hmm. um, but it's a really smartly written comedy. Um, a lot of good humor. Really imaginative. Um, and definitely worth the watch. So if you haven't seen any of BoJack Horseman, check it out. Season 4 is airing on September 8th on Netflix. Nice. Yeah. So one of the best episodes they've had of that is the Underwater Film Festival, where nothing oh, yeah. is said throughout the whole thing. But it's it's one of the most emotionally jarring episodes ever. Yeah. Hmm. I've never it's, seen this. So I definitely great. have to take a peek at it. They're just so I, I know. I know we probably mention this almost every other podcast, but I, I, I guess with like I'm definitely fortunate and definitely like glad that we live in this day and age of cinema. Uh, that uh, 
there's just so much out there. Like, I really wish I could just quit my job and just watch TV and get paid and watch movie. Pay, you know, you just just get paid and do that. Just because there's so much good stuff that you can. There's so many also life lessons you can learn just from watching these things. Um, I think it's also pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So uh, thank you so much. And also for you, uh, uh, Mocha, on September 1st, there's a new Apothic coming out again. They started it last Ooh. year called Apothic Inferno. Hashtag sip to that because it's phenomenal. So definitely be like on for that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a bucket full of Red Hots. Full That's of Red That's disgusting. Hot. <laughs> I'm not a Fireball fan. I don't know if uh, we'll lose followers for this, but I don't like Fireball. I think it's like no. sickly sweet and super like cloying and gross. No, no, no. Um, this- I thought of... That this, flavor on wine sounds horrific. No, this wine was like it's made in like Asian a little bit in whiskey barrels, so it actually takes in the oakiness and the actual whiskey uh, uh, rye from that. So it's pretty good. Hell yeah! Yeah, definitely gonna check that out. Please do, please do. We'll definitely be talking about it more on the podcast. Uh, and I think we actually talked about it last year on the podcast. So there you go. <laughs> uh, and I am Warren, your host of this evening's podcast for the Game, uh, Game of Thrones season seven recap. Uh, right now, I am sipping on a new wine that I have not had before, but sounds very familiar. Uh, and so, if I, I'm pretty sure I've seen this somewhere, but it's called the Jackson Keys. Ha! And uh, it's a farmhouse red uh, from California, as everyone is. Uh, this wine, and I've been really trying to shop for a bunch of different wines that's under, you know, $12, especially for a lot of people who says they're not really into wines, just so that you can go and buy a bottle of wine that may not be bad. It may not, you know, it may not be something that's, um, you know, your favorite, but at least it's under, you know, 12 bucks. You can definitely at least expand your horizons for it. And I've been really trying to find a lot of these wines that look good, and mainly of them is all from California that actually have some good flavors and some good tastes. And this one is a great sessionable wine. It's a little stronger, um, so I wouldn't uh, recommend it for kind of a new uh, person, but much like Mocha's sort of uh, apothic dark, it is on the darker side of, it, side of it, but it's also very light and it's also very smooth. And that first sort of bit is a little bit bitter. It's kind of... It definitely kind of hits you at least with the sweetness of it there, but then it definitely kind of mellows out in almost kind of a creamy fashion as it uh, as it the taste progresses. So I would definitely kind of check this out. It's a, nef- it's a dark red, and I believe it was like I said under thirteen bucks. Uh, now that I live next to a Cappy's, this is probably the best thing that happened to me. Uh, and as of what I've been watching. I watched two movies, and uh, I think somebody actually gave us some feedback. My buddy uh, Swan, hashtag Black Swan Adventures, um, we, uh, he gave me some feedback about, you know, you do, you, all you do is talk about new movies and new stuff, and it's tough to kind of kind of like really engage with some of these things that you guys talk about, because I don't watch movies, right? He doesn't, he's, not like, he's not a big moviegoer. He doesn't watch some of these things. So, you know, this past weekend, I watched It, you know, the 1990 uh, TV uh, like extended series, I'm not sure how it thinks over three hours. So I watched that, um, and I also watched a goofy movie. Now, for everybody who's been listening to the podcast, which I know is everybody, uh, they all know how much I love a goofy movie. But I don't know if you know exactly how much I love a goofy movie by singing all the songs. I was doing the dances. I'm probably the best ever uh, at the perfect cast. Come, come, challenge me, please, challenge me. Uh, hashtag perfect cast challenge. 
So uh, I would say, you know, the, these two movies was very on the total opposite of sides of wa- watching it. <laughs> this movie like scared the heck out of me as a child. So much so that my mom, I don't know why she let us watch these movies, but it was awful. And I think even the one, another one from Stephen King was uh, Thinner that also really messed me up uh, just in my yeah. head because with clowns and this person's getting really skinny and it's all the other stuff that's happening in that movie and it's pretty bad uh, and so I remember I couldn't like sleep for some time but definitely coming back to it and watching it as I'm like older I'm like ooh this movie does not hold up not that it did but oh it's it's pretty bad uh, it's it, it was just we didn't even need to nitpick how uh, how bad it was but it was still very enjoyable and like once you kind of take your mind off of those kind of focus things of yeah, this is like not for me anymore definitely made for a, I think a younger audience at the time right and uh, it's definitely obviously the things doesn't hold up but it's still like almost like a classic and I think I still would recommend people to watch it um, because just how some of these actors in that movie itself kind of was affected by um, Penny uh, Pennywise Pennywise Pennywise, so, yeah. Pennywise. So, and yep. back when that came out uh, Tim Curry's Pennywise was like one of the scariest things yes. that I'd ever seen as a kid and that was back in the time where the Stephen King made for TV movie it was ha- it was like an annual event, and you knew it, something crazy was going to happen. You're going to you're going to watch it to get freaked out. Yeah, oh, man, it's the, like I remember hating everything about watching this movie. Um, so you know that so that was it, and I, found, I actually saw it on TV. Yeah, Mocha. Uh, quick, uh, interesting little tidbit about it. So, do you guys remember a few months back when Wonder Woman came out and the Alamo Draft House did an all-female showing of it, and a whole bunch of really shitty men online got mad about it um, yeah. and like tried to call for a boycott, which was pointless because they didn't believe it was it was they believed it was sexist that only women could get to see it for this one showing. Mm-hmm. Um, on Twitter at the time, somebody had made a statement about how, oh, what's next? Like an all-clown showing of it. And the uh, the Alamo Draft House team, I responded to the guy on the troll on Twitter and was like, "That's a great idea, actually." And they just announced, I believe, last week that they are officially doing an all clown showing, uh, showing up it at the Austin Alamo Draft House. Yeah. So for this showing, you can go in. You have to be dressed as a clown, but they also will have um, professional face painters there to give you clown makeup in case you can't do it in time. But it is going to be a movie, a dark movie theater filled with clowns That's, during the, the showing of the new it. That is That's a movie theater. Creepy. I am not going to go to. That's awesome. That is yeah, amazing. absolutely amazing. Nice. Super pumped about that. Uh, and then the Goofy movie is by far my, my favorite film, uh, my favorite musical of the Disney animated series. Uh, if you haven't seen it, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Uh, I got problems. Sorry. <laughs> well, I'm not calling you out. I'm calling, I'm calling you out. All right, all right, I'm calling you out. Yeah, so that's what I've been watching. And uh, I know that we're, we're super pumped. We're excited uh, to talk about the Game of Thrones. Before we get into the nitty-gritty, I know Bradley had a question, so I'm super pumped to kind of really get into this, you know, before we really start talking about spoilers and things like that. Bradley, what you got for me? Yeah, so I was curious to hear from the podcast, uh, who would you say was the MVP of this season and why? Mm. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'll go ahead and at least kind of start because I think at least it started almost how it ended. And we can actually we can at least see a lot of all the stuff that she has been training for, and that's going to be Arya, because really, this is the only season that we actually see wins on her in her book. Like nothing, 
I'm trying to think, right? I don't think anything bad happens to Arya because everything bad has happened to Arya previously. Uh, so now she finally gets a chance to get a couple wins. Like, and I think we talked about it a little bit of this is on fan service that we're finally getting her a chance to kind of breathe and kind of grow into this person, this character, this assassin that she wanted to do by still like having these kind of important sort of relationship with Hot Pie, you know, important relationships with Brienne now that she's even kind of do that and like also back with Sansa. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And uh, we finally, she's knocking people off her list. And, you know, she the, the, the season starts with her killing Walder Frey. And I think everybody's like, yes, you know, like super pumped about that to the to the point where where it ends you know, non-spoiler, I'm not going to, like, start with there, but how it ends, and then the other person she ends up taking out, it was also very impactful. I was like, yes, like, this is something that we wanted to see for a long time, and we're finally getting it, and she's finally getting some of these wins. My only sort of concern kind of going for the next season is, you know, now that she's getting these wins, I'm wondering if it has to be kind of balanced back. You know, she was blind, she was captive, she, you know, was basically, like, prison for this entire time but now she has a bunch of freedom i'm wondering if there's going to be any sort of um drawbacks or consequences for some of the actions that she's done in the past mocha mocha yeah i mean so when you ask the question who's the mvp we got to remember that mvp stands for most valuable uh person and the most valuable person in my opinion was Tyrion this season um a lot of people are willing to talk shit about him because he suffered a few uh, strategic setbacks during the beginning of the the war between the uh, the queens, um, which is true, but they weren't bad uh, tactics. They were like the plan was sound. It was just that Jamie knew him personally and was able to outflank him. But where he became the most valuable player is because so much of the success that came in the last few episodes would have been impossible without Tyrion. Without Tyrion there to talk to Jamie, they would have never been able to get Cersei to agree to meet them in the first place. Without Tyrion there to go in and put his life on the line and call his sister out um, in that personal conversation, they never would have gotten her to commit her troops, which granted she didn't intend to follow through with, but we know, uh, you know Jamie at least wants to. Um, you know, without, without Tyrion there... A lot of the grander successes. Oh, John! John might not have ever bent the knee to Daenerys because Tyrion was the one who went and talked to him on the cliffside and told him, "Like you need to see what she's capable of because we follow her for a reason." Um, Daenerys is in a stronger place now because of Tyrion and Tyrion only. So he gets my MVP this season. Nice, good. Yeah, I hear a lot of people giving Tyrion flack about this season because it's like he's making stupid mistakes and then he's creeping outside the boat sex door I'm like well <laughs> you gotta look at the ramifications of what his negotiation and diplomacy actually leads to yep um so as far as my mvp it's going to be torment giants bang uh this guy is amazing he's the lovable light-hearted but also super vicious fighter that um that uh, I always want to have there in Game of Thrones just to balance all the seriousness. And whenever he's having a conversation with uh, characters, he's, I mean, you got to laugh, you got to love what he's talking about. Like him dreaming of being with Brienne and making monster children is a great call out that he has. Or his little conversations he has with the uh, quote unquote Magnificent Seven that go north of the wall, all the little. Uh, jibes he has with them is something that's I mean good to like make sure it's not just a quiet moment people walking around like he's 
he has this energy, and the way he lets this energy out is uh, through talking his ass off and just annoying the hell out of people. And it's great to see him like kind of find his way after being through a lot, being some of the last few wildlings left alive, and um, having where he had this devotion to the king of the north and not having all that crumble behind him and finding his place among John's crew and being a very important part of that crew uh, when it comes to either fighting off the White Walkers or defending the wall as well. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I, I also, like, love Tormund, and I, I think he... I wish he just had more screen time, and I also think I wish that he was introduced a little bit more, because um, I think we have, like, a main character in just about every aspect of it, but, uh, uh, um, you know, in all the other, like, places in this uh, Westeros and Essos, but... It's, it's it's kind of a bummer that uh, he didn't get enough screen time. I think he would have been... Uh, he's a, definitely a, awesome. I think he's a great performer. Uh, and uh, his character, I think, was written perfectly from him. And, you know, if we remember when we first saw him, he was not a... He was not a good dude. You know, he was definitely on, like, the the, the other side. But um, I, think that's, I think it's also interesting that none of us talks about John um, as being the MVP because he actually did the most. And also said he got that. He got in it. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. So I'm pumped. We're excited. Let's talk about it here. We're going to get into an entirely sort of spoiler-ridden part of the show. So if you haven't seen Game of Thrones, and for some reason you haven't seen Game of Thrones and you're still listening, you have. I Thank you. I appreciate it. But if you haven't seen the rest of Season 7 of Game of Thrones, I would say stop right now. Don't go, don't go forward. Stop, because you will be ruined, and we're will gonna be talking about some things that you probably wanna, you probably wanna know later on. So we're gonna give you a break. You're gonna have a nice little sip of our wine and pause, and to give you a chance to uh, stream the rest of the Game of Thrones. So we'll see you in a bit. That's my dragon. Shut up. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> like groundhog that's screaming over the fields. Hey! <laughs> and welcome back to the Down in Front podcast. We are going to get into our completely raw bear review version of Game of Thrones Season 7. Recap, we're going to really talk about the actual finale itself, uh, the dragon and the lion? Uh, the wolf and the dragon. The wolf and the dragon. Yeah, dragon my bad. I was like, dragon. wait, hold on. No, no, you're right, Brylin. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so uh, we're going to be really talking about kind of uh, episode seven as well as just basically everything else for the actual episode because we're really going to be recapping to talk about, you know, a bunch of these characters and a bunch of these deaths. So I'm super pumped to actually kind of talk about it. I'm going to toss it over to Brylin kind of get us started. And um, let's talk about you know the stark sisters let's let's start it here let's talk about stark sisters let's talk about linger littlefinger what you got for me yeah so what's really interesting about like all throughout this whole season you're seeing littlefinger kind of play his mind games with especially sansa 
and uh, just kind of like keep her in check, saying like, "Hey, remember with the Battle of the Bastards, uh, you would have never won that if it wasn't for House Aaron and the Knights of House Aaron." And uh, we've seen this before with Littlefinger, where he goes through the season just um, kind of like using his uh, clever words to kind of convince people to do a certain thing for him. And that person usually ends up dead or even worse than that. Uh, and it was really interesting to see like him actually play through his same mind games. And Sansa kind of play along with him and Arya getting involved where she finds the letter that Sansa wrote, uh, that Cersei had her right uh, to uh, send to Rob to bend the knee to Joffrey because Ned's a traitor and stuff mm-hmm. to kind of like kind of break the sisters apart and like kind of have them not trust one another. And that's the feeling you get up until the final episode when uh, you even have a moment where Littlefinger's talking to Sansa and it's like, what do you think Arya's going to do with that letter? What do you think uh, she's going to, how she's going to feel? What do you think uh, Arya's capable of? And before this, we see Arya show and explain to Sansa that she's a, she was trained by the faceless men. And eventually she, like how Arya says, like all I need is your face to actually be Lady of Winterfell. And Littlefinger is can try to convince her, like, hey, that's what she's going to do. She's going to kill you, she's going to take your face, then she's going to be in charge. Mm-hmm. And you do see Sansa, like, kind of go along with this. And so, at the very end, we see uh, Arya is called into court. All the Aaron soldiers are surrounding her. She walks in, she's escorted in, she's in the middle, and she's like, okay, I mean, I guess this is what's going to come down to. And Sansa has one of the best uh, has one of the best uh, lines in it, where she goes, "You've been found guilty of treason and murder, and what do you have to say for yourself?" And then she turns to Littlefinger, and says, "Lord Baelish," oh, and like everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a ama- it's an amazing recap. Even though it's like a very exposition heavy thing, it's like kind of remembered like what has Littlefinger done the last six seasons? And it's kind of like the um, the Clash of the Kings is all his fault. The Red Wedding is his fault. Ned getting his head cut off. He has been the asshole that's kind of made all this shit happen. Mm-hmm. And then um, his final uh, his final. Uh, thing is he's on his knees crying begging for his life and he probably mom uh murmurs the truest words he's ever had he's like i always love your mother i always loved you and before he can get another word out Arya slits his throat he dies right there in winterfell he's done son. amazing oh. it's amazing it's like all right you've been played a fool and when he finds out it's just like what I so, gotta pay for all this, <laughs> and it's kind of interesting because, I mean, if you look at how Ned Stark uh, approached justice, I mean, it's like nobility and a very noble thing, and this is kind of not a very noble way of doing this. They kind of pulled the uh, wool over Littlefinger's eyes, and they're like, I mean, we didn't really bring out anybody that has proof. We didn't really bring out. We just. This is all hearsay, and we accuse you of all this, and we're going to take you out hmm. because of this. Because, you know what? Here's the truth. Nobody fucking likes you. Even <laughs> um, 
even the bannermen of House Aaron don't like it. They said, "No, we're not going to. <laughs> we're not going to take you back to the area." Yeah, it's really, um, it's really interesting to see Sansa come to this point because she has spent this entire story being abused and going through these horrible moments. But when you think about it, she's all of her mentors, all the people who have taught her how to survive and how to keep going, have always been the best manipulators in the game. It was she learned from Queen Cersei, she learned from Peter Baelish. And in his own, like, twisted and horrifying way, she learned from Ramsay Bolton. And she has long since given up the notion of being honorable because she's seen what happens to honorable people. And she's seen how successful you can be by manipulating things. And I thought it was really interesting that in her role as as Lady of Winterfell, she did exactly that. She didn't hold a proper trial. She accused him of something and then called for his execution immediately because she understands, A, if you let Littlefinger talk, he will talk his way out of anything. Mm-hmm. And B, why should she be noble? No one's ever been noble to her, and like, and yeah. that's and everyone else has been powerful as a result. Yeah, and um, one interesting thing about that is before this happens, she tells Brienne to be her representative in uh, the meeting at the Dragon Pit. Uh, and I think one of the most important reasons for that is if Brienne was around, she would have not allowed this to happen. And she would have probably gotten in the way because it's not the honorable thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but you bring up a great point that I mean, Sansa has been the most wronged character throughout this whole uh, this whole series, probably. Uh, but she's taken so much from those experiences and made her a stronger person as well. I would say been really interesting to see what would have been people's reactions if Sansa was actually the one that actually carried out the sentence, like kind of oh. uh, continue with that Ned Stark tradition yeah. or the, the Stark tradition of swinging the sword if you're the one that declares the uh, outcome. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it is also interesting to think that, uh, you know, just kind of taking a step back and looking at, you know, we talked about the Starks and we talked about this, assist, like, we talked about the sisters of none of them there actually aren't any more Starks at all because you have Bran who's the three-eyed raven so his identity is gone you have Arya whose identity is also gone and you have Sansa who's already been married and so she's a Bolton and a uh, Lannister so she actually isn't a Stark either you know well I'm just saying like just looking at like looking at those ones I, I think that's interesting to say that Actually, none of you are Starks, but if anybody's closest to a Stark, it's Arya. That's going to be the closest to it, and she still kind of took or held that sentence that she was the executioner. So I do appreciate that way of looking at it. The episode also did a really good job of showing the dichotomy between her and John, because in that same episode, we have John who nearly ruins everything for the entire world by being too honest yeah. and saying, "Like I don't care that that it was the politically wrong thing to do." I have to be honest, it's who I am, it's who my father raised me to be. And when you look at it, at them, at their journeys, Sansa went further south than any other Stark and spent more time in the south than the Starks and grew up to have this mindset where honor isn't necessary. And John went further north than any other Stark and he wound up on the complete other end of the spectrum where he learned that honor was everything. Um, and it's interesting because that's always something that they talk about in the books, how you know the Southern lords don't have the type of honor that they do in the north. And this is a very... Uh, like visceral example of what that what that means. Yeah, that's a great way to kind of put it too. I didn't even kind of think about that, uh, like the location of where they went. And um, John has always been honorable and has gotten him killed. 
you know so i think that's actually pretty interesting yeah. to, to think about that of even if he gets it i don't think it ma- it doesn't matter what you're going to say it has gotten him killed he's coming back and he's still going to do those things and it's that, that i guess that's some strong honor some definitely some strong loyalty for it and it's uh, definitely going to be interesting. I know that we're going to talk about this, this uh, next section here, but uh, before we get into that, like it's going to be interesting to see uh, you know next season when he finds out that he's not a Stark and he's not the son of uh, even the the raised son or whatever. He's not a bastard. He's not the son of Ned Stark. He actually has a family, and his family ties are with you know Targaryen, which we knew for some time, but now. He has. He still doesn't necessarily know. So that's going to be a very impactful. That's going to be a very powerful moment. I'm super excited to see how they're going to do that, and I really, really hope they do it well. Which I'm sure they probably will, but that's something that that should be pretty cool. So let's go all the way over to talk about the Lannisters. Uh, let's actually do a recap. I'm going to uh, toss this over here to um, uh, Mike, and I know and Mocha. And like before this, I know. Uh, we had talked about we stopped at you know the Queen's Justice and we didn't even get a chance to kind of review the you know the spoils of war East Watch Beyond the Wall and the Dragon and the Wolf, uh, but a lot of stuff has happened uh, for we're gonna try to see if we can wrap up these four episodes all into this uh, one reca- uh, like recap of it. Um, so let's pop over uh, Mocha. Talk to me about you know Cersei and Jamie's relationship and what's uh, oh my gosh. Give me a recap of what's going on there. Yeah. So. Cersei and Jamie are interesting, um, especially for me. Cersei is probably the character that I love to hate the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jamie is probably the character that I hate to love the most. Um, Jamie's a great character, especially more so even in the books. He's super nuanced and is this really dynamic and interesting character. But he has one fatal flaw that, that goes above any sense of morality or honor that he has, and that is his love for his sister. And it's fascinating because whereas Cersei sees everyone as tools, even Jamie, whom she does very much love, mm-hmm. um, Jamie is just completely and utterly like head over heels in love with her in the most honest way. And this season was a little rough from that perspective because Cersei has lost everything. She's lost her children. Um, she lost for a moment her dignity when she was uh, abused by the High Septon. Um, and she refuses to let anything like that ever happen to her again. And so she has shed almost every bit of her humanity and honor with the notion of keeping herself alive and keeping her like her loved ones alive. Um, and that results in a lot of tension between them this season. And we see that after the Battle of the Loot Train, where Jamie is so overwhelmed by seeing the raw power of the dragons. Um, and it's trying to talk sense to Cersei, and Cersei is just stubborn and has and has her heels dug in, saying no, like it doesn't matter. We die no matter what, so we have to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's unfortunate because Cersei is willing to go to those lanes, and Jamie, who is an honorable man in this episode, um, is fully down for the idea of going to the North to help protect everyone from the Whites. And when Cersei twists that around on him and says. Like, why would you think that I would actually actually be honest about that? Like, I know I always knew you were the stupidest Lannister. Um, it's kind of heartbreaking for him because he knows what it means to watch a ruler descend into insanity. Yeah. Um, he watched it with Eris. He was Eris's guard, and he killed him because he wanted to save as many people as he could. And I think in this episode, he especially in this finale, he started to make that realization where 
he's like, she might almost be too far gone. And it was the moment where she threatened to kill him. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when that happened in this episode, I like my hand was over my mouth and I was on the edge of my seat because the music changed. The music had this like chord change, this really like negative sounding um, score when Jane, when she looked at uh, Sir at Gregor or rather um, what's his name, Stronger. Uh, oh, anyway, yeah, I'll look, I'll look it up. Yeah, and he draws a sword, and I actually thought that oh shit, like this is gonna be the big death at the finale. She's gonna kill Jamie right then and there. And at the last moment, she held her hand. She couldn't bring herself to actually kill him when Jamie decided to turn her back on her. But I think that that might have been one of the last straws for Jamie. He understands that that she is at least on the brink of being past the point of no return. And now he's torn between remaining honorable or trying to salvage the relationship with his sister, who he, who he truly deeply loves. Um, and I think it's a really interesting dynamic, um, and it's only going to end poorly, I think, for everyone involved. Um, but, but yeah, they continue to be one of the more interesting pairs in this show, um, and I I hate that I love them both. Yeah, I, I think during that scene where um, the mountain was, she was telling the mountain to kill him. I thought at that moment that we were just going to see a fight between Jamie and the Mountain. It was just going to end just like how uh, Oberon did. You just see him spill his guts out on that map. Yeah. And um, and it's really interesting. I always go back and forth. This might be just because Lena Hetty is such an amazing actress that um, I it's like, is she going crazy or is she? Is it more grief? Is it more desperation? of her actions and then you see her being very smart and very clever like with her um alliance with the iron bank of bravos and paying for the golden company and then you find out that euron didn't really just turn tail and go back to pike uh he's actually headed over to volantis to pick up the golden company and bring it back here Mm -hmm. uh to protect king's landing and stuff and just bolster their ranks uh, and um, Cersei is a really uh, an interesting character because you when you can tell when she talks about her kids with Tyrion that she shows honest feelings and pain for her kids. She was a uh, she was a loving mother. Uh, when she sees the white charge at her, yeah, she's definitely afraid of a zombie that actually exists. And then she's like, oh shit, this is actually real, and it actually shakes her. And initially, she's just like, uh, yeah, let me help you out, but I want something in return uh, during the dragon pit scene. Um, but uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see like what really takes her out eventually, because she is a lion. She's going to fight tooth and claw uh, till the bitter end, and I feel like there's going to be a lot of tragedy that happens with whatever the outcome is for Cersei. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to be sad just to see too. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be very interesting as well because just looking at the dyna- dynamic of it, kind of adding uh, Robert Strong is his name. Uh, but like looking, like looking into the dynamic, it was, you know, uh, when we started the show, I talked about the, you know the MVP and you know the MVP of the season was Arya, but my favorite character is Jamie, just because he is uh, like a tortured soul. Um, and it's very sad and it's very frustrating to see like it's 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 a bummer to see him he's been through also like a ton like everybody had been through right but he's also been through like a lot of shit and he's literally been cursed even before there are 
we were introduced to the show of he was already called this Kingslayer and at that point like there's nothing that he can do he already broke like the most honest like the honorable and like sacred law to um, stab your king in the back literally so uh, yeah. I think he's a very tortured person Cersei too is, a, is an interesting character well in regards to Cersei specifically as the, the fictional character um, I like talking to people about her because it's so easy when you bring up Game of Thrones to people, like, the go-to knee-jerk reaction is, oh, Cersei's such a bitch, I hate her, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is, if you really dissect her character and her history, she is... Her actions are bad. Like, I'm not saying that anything she's done is good, but everything about her is justifiable. She has been through a shit ton. Um, even before her kids died, you know, being the... She, in terms of personality and in terms of intelligence and in terms of drive for power and maintaining the safety of her family, she is Tywin's true heir. She is the one who inherited all of his cunning, all of his shrewdness, all of his ruthlessness, and it never mattered because she had tits. Mm. Um, and Jaime was the golden child, and Tyrion was a was you know like was this monster, but um, but he, she never got the attention and the, the the respect that she deserved, despite everything she's done. And, you know, now that she's lost all of her family, the only people that are left in the world are people that are going to hold her back. And she knows what that's like. And she now she's had the seat of power. And she's going to do everything she can to keep it because there's nowhere else for her to go but to a terrible place. Yeah. Um, and, it sucks, and it's funny because she is, like, she's shitty. But everything about her is justifiable. Um, and also a huge shout-out to Lena Headey. Like you mentioned, she's an incredible actress. But she really understands Cersei and it shows in these really minute, um, like physical movements that she makes when she's delivering her dialogue. One thing that I couldn't help but notice throughout all this finale is that when Cersei speaks, she always maintains her composure. Right? She'll get angry and she'll sneer, and her lips will peel back, showing her teeth like a like you know like a hungry lion, so to speak. Um, but she doesn't like jump and she doesn't move. She's not really animated. But if you watch carefully at her hands when she talks. Her left hand is always gripping um, the armrest of her throne, and her right hand is always gesticulating, but in the most gentle ways. So when she point, like, makes a point about, uh, let's see, when she says, when she's complaining to Jamie, who just said he'd go and take the army north because he's not going to give up on her word, and she says that's treason. And she, he says, "How do you call? How is that treason?" And she goes, "You're just avoiding your, king, your queen's orders and taking her armies to fight along her enemies. That is the very definition of treason." And when she says that, her right hand clenches in this weird way and makes this quick jerk that's imperceptible unless you're looking for it. But it's so, it's just so good. She mm -hmm. just knows who that character is, and she has so much restraint, but you can still see there's so much fury just in the way her, she manages her body. Um, so huge, huge shout out to Lena Headey because she is a an absolute gem and a a great addition to this cast. Oh, yeah. Man, I yeah. love the and the one thing that we learned about Cersei that may or may not be true is another kid on the way. Yeah. What do we think? Is this real deal? Would you lie about this type of thing? So, I mean, that's the thing. I've never seen Cersei as a liar. Manipulator, uh, cruel person, but I've never really seen her as a liar. Uh, I mean, she was lying the entire time and when she like when she was manipulating Sansa, she manipulated Sansa by lying to her. So, you know, she she ended up doing that. Like when she was like, uh, well, that's a good point. Although she didn't know what Did Joffrey was gonna do. Yeah, I'm thinking that she didn't know she what was Joffrey was gonna do. She was brutally honest with Sansa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess she hasn't been a liar. 
Unless it's like the unless, greatest weapon you have is between your legs. Yeah. Unless this, this I mean, past she episode. She lied in this episode, but that's because, you know, when she promised them her troops north, but that was because she was at the very end of her rope. Yeah. You know, at this point, she's at the point where they meet in the dragon pit. Jamie's right. They've effectively lost the war. They can't continue fighting against Daenerys. She outnumbers them. She devastated their their main military force during the loot train attack. Um, and, get, the, and everyone is turning against her. Um, unless, we get, unless we get elephants... Because if we yeah. get some elephants and some other magical creatures that we haven't necessarily been introduced to just yet, I mean, that'll be pretty yeah. dope. Yeah, if, she is, elephant. if she is actually pregnant, though, then shout out to Cersei for being the first person in the world to ever get pregnant from swallowing after a BJ. That's some impressive work right there. <laughs> <laughs> she got skills, man. She got skills. Wow. Uh... <laughs> uh one thing I do want to talk about this scene, uh, Mocha, I'm going to echo a couple, some of the things you actually said, but I do want to look at you know the parallels and look at these characters in comparison. Um, you know, Cersei, the way... Th it, it was very easy. I'm, I'm also confused why we never seen this before until now, and this also could lead into a little bit later on of the... I think uh, Brylin called it the cabin sex door, boat sex door. Um... Cersei and Tyrion should realistically always been on the same side because they both they both were treated the same pretty poorly by Tywin. Um, mm -hmm. They arguably were treated like it didn't matter. Like she like and she and they had that confrontation. And I never really put anything to two and two together until she's like, you know, he like can you believe what father did to me? She's like, yes. You complaining? Have you seen what he did to me? And it was like they both have like valid, like, logical sort of arguments of their father was awful. One just so happened to kill him, but you know, uh, that it's just very interesting. Of like, she, he was trying to say, you know, every at anybody point, if you know Tyrion had made this argument to anybody else, yeah, I get it, and everybody can understand. Oh, I get it. I can understand why. But now he's bringing up this same argument, the same thing to Cersei, and she's like, no, like that's. Like, that's not okay. You can't... Th those are not okay actions. So I think that's very interesting of those characters coming together. And they can also have a chance of, you know, talking about and, uh, uh, you know, forming a family and the importance of family. And that entire conversation, I think, also had a lot, of do lot to do with family, about the family that they lost and, and then potentially the family they're going to gain. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see where that story is going to go and what uh, Tyrion's now new motivation or whatever happened with why Cersei wanted to turn and why she ended up even agreeing to it. So something clearly happened, but uh, we're going to be left to mystery for some time until we find out about next season. Yeah. yeah, well, I think the most interesting, or not the most interesting, but the thing that's important to remember about Cersei and her feelings towards Tyrion is that when Cersei was very young, Tyrion uh, was born, and when Tyrion was born, her mother died during childbirth, mm. and that was really traumatic for her. She had she loved her mother, and when her mother died, she was left with Tywin. Tywin's her father, and Tywin's a cold asshole um, who didn't cut too much care for her because she was a woman. And not only did her mother die, but you know she grew up from a young age. In the books, they talk about how at a very young age, she and Jamie knew how they feel, felt about each other. They knew that they loved each other in a way that was different. And Cersei talks about the fact that he's so beautiful and that they look like each other and that beauty is something that connects them. And the thing that took away 
um, their mother, the thing that she was forced to then quote unquote care about because it was her blood relative was the exact opposite of Jamie. He was a twisted dwarf who was like, who was objectively ugly, um, with different colored eyes and he didn't have like the, like the, the beautiful hair that they had. And, and even with all that, he was still preferred in his own way by, uh, by Tywin over her because mm-hmm. he was still a male. Um, yeah. And I think that's the root. No matter what, the fact that she she lost her mother, who she cared about, and lost it to this to, to a an quote unquote imp that still has a better chance at leading than she ever did, just because of their gender, is is infinitely infuriating for her. That's good. Yeah, that's a good way to also look at it too. Dropping knowledge bombs. All right, guys. Let's uh, move on. Uh, let's stay still in kind of King's Landing. Let's talk a little bit. This one's going to really focus a bit more on kind of the Dragon Pit. Um, and first time we're seeing that and had a badass one here. And I just like how, you know, especially with this one here, you know, a lot of the things and a lot of the criticisms that I've been hearing about the entire episode or the entire season, excuse me, is to talk about like kind of the rush and the tempo. And I'm glad they kind of gave some time to, to walk. Literally, they just gave some time to walk, and some people even look at it as an exposition dump. But I'm glad they would kind of fill in some gaps because we we can we can finally kind of get these characters. And I think we talked about a little bit of kind of fan service of the moment between Brienne and the Hound. I I thoroughly enjoyed that moment because they never got a chance to talk, and she thought arguably I think she thought he was dead this entire time. Um, and I guess it's coming to the point where, you know, they're walking side by side and she even gives them a little smirk and that is Arya's parents. Like, that's that's Arya's parents. Like, uh, at least from what we know, seeing in the show, that Arya has spent more time with um, uh, the Hound than she has with Ned, uh, Eddard. And, you know, she's at least kind of fighting and, like, the, the likeliness that Arya wants to be is Brienne, and that's what she wants to look up to. So that's 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 interesting just to look at, you know, uh, look at those two, and they have like a very serious bond of, hey, I was just trying to protect her, so was I. Ah, oh, come on. So I, I thoroughly enjoy that. You know, I like the moments with Bronn, and I like seeing Bronn and Tyrion back together, like kind of on the same sides, and how Bronn's, you know, seemingly doing well for himself, and he's like he's pretty awesome, and he just kind of laid it out of he's also getting. He was always very, uh, I think he's always pretty smart. But I think he was one of the best sellswords ever because he was actually smart. He actually thought about other things. And now he's like, well, I don't need, like, money. Uh, and even kind of going back, kind of starting off, when there was a line that uh, Jamie had said uh, about everything. And, like, it's all just about, it. like, is this all about cocks or something like that? I thought it was kind of funny because it's like, well... He's not wrong because doesn't like literally at that time it doesn't matter about the money it doesn't matter about the fighting ability it really doesn't matter if you can't necessarily procreate and kind of create a family for this like it, it, that doesn't matter um, so you know they also kind of took some time to kind of put those lines in they could have easily kind of they could have started this scene already at the dragon pit but they chose to put that information in so I thought that was pretty powerful to see. Um, and so going through the dragon pit, we can see that, you know, this is like a big plan. And I was really nervous because is this plan going to work or not? Because right now, Tyrion, your plans have not been working arguably all season. So is this plan going to work or not? And, you know, we have everybody come to come together and 
uh, you have that badass moment that you know uh, Daenerys kind of enters with her dragon. Who I thought I thought that part just looks great, and everybody's freaking out. Even like Jamie's like freaking out with his spits of this just happened like PCSD like fucking killing all these people um so I think that was also a very funny and you know even going off of what Mocha was talking about like Cersei does not even bat an eye uh, oh and later on she mentions oh what happened to the third dragon I I'm not impressed like I thought you said you had three um, so I thought that was a very powerful moment too. Uh, we finally get kind of a, a big reveal. So we get some Euron stuff. I know that Brylon would love to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but we get some of that stuff. But we get the big reveal of, you know, I think everybody has been sitting here and waiting of what's going to happen. Like, what's their plan when they bring the white? And I love the fact that they took their time with it a little bit. And they almost kind of fooled you saying, oh, the white's dead. And I was like, bit. No way. There's no way. He pops out of the box and kind of goes and like does his thing and kind of runs up. And we see that John has like this all planned out of, you know, chop it off. And clearly he's still alive. One of my favorite moments, and I think I've been hearing this just about from everybody, is once his arm gets chopped off, who picks up that arm? Just from scientific curiosity. Yeah, just from curiosity. And I'm like, <gasps> every. I think everybody hands down says that's their favorite moment. And he didn't even say anything. Like, that's just an action because that's a character moment because we know that he's just interested. He, he already made one. But this one here has been made differently. It's much faster than the version that he made and potentially doesn't die. Like, who knows, right? Um, so... I'm interested. I'm also very interested to see how Kyburn is going to, uh, if he's going to do like experiments or something like that with that white later on. Like, it'd be cool to see if he still has it like in his like layer or something like that after. But we get that and we see that, you know, uh, uh, you know, oh, man, Lena Headley, Cersei like agrees to, uh, it was, I thought was kind of weird, but not really. And then John says, you know, basically I, I've already pledged myself, so I can't bend the knee to you. And, kind of almost ruins it for everybody but you know that's just a bit of the recap of the dragon pit scene is a bunch of other stuff but uh what what what's some other things about this particular scene and why it made it so impactful i like that you uh call alexander scene with brianne it's like it is like two parents that are just like proud of their little murder baby and what she's <laughs> um but sander also has a really another badass scene it's like hold on guys before the meeting starts yes. let me just let me just post up on this dude and give him some shit. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes up to the bow and just like stares him down and it's like, yeah, you know who's coming after you. Just wait. So like the game ball still yep. got hopes that there's going to be something badass happen next season between right. those two. I hope. Yeah, yeah, I like that he, <laughs> and I like that he just uh, took a couple moments just to take the piss out of him too. It was really awesome. Um, yeah, you, uh, the Kyburn moment, it's fascinating because he looks at the white in awe. He doesn't look at it in fear or anything. Yeah. It's just interesting to him. Um, and it's uh, it's really cool to see that, uh, well, Daenerys, she arrives fashionably late. And <laughs> Cersei even calls her out on it. It's just saying, you're late. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. My dragon was caught in traffic or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And um, then you have uh, Euron, um, just like he sees the white and is like, uh, I'm gone, I'm out, that's it. Uh, this shit's coming. <laughs> he asks John, Can they swim? John says, No. He's like, All right, I know where I'm going. I'm going to Pike. Yeah. I'm going to be safe there. Fuck all y'all. 
that's great. Mocha, any, anything? Um, I just thought that it was it was delightful in its own way seeing that that meeting took place in the Dragon Pit because that was the first time that both Daenerys Stormborn and John Sand <laughs> stepped foot into into King's Landing. It was the first time they'd both been there. Daenerys was born in Dragonstone and then shipped off to Essos right afterwards. Mm-hmm. And John never went south. He went to the Wall. And both of those are the last dragons. Um, you know, we know now, given the the big reveal of this episode, that John is Aegon Targaryen. And to know that both of them stepped, like, returned to King's Landing, um, the seat of their power, the seat of the throne that they that their fam- that they both are heirs to. Um, and they did so by stepping into the place where their dragon, their family kept their dragons in the day. It was just really poetic and delightful, um, and I really, really enjoyed it uh, from that sort of perspective. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a cool scene. I, I'm glad the summit went the way it did. Yeah. Cool. So let's actually rewind a little bit. Let's talk about one of the other biggest moments of what happened in the uh, episode uh, before this. Brylan, talk to me about what we got the Magnificent Seven. And the versus the Night King. Yeah, so um, to bring the Dragon Pit scene together, like Tyrion's big idea was to, and also John's big idea was to capture a white uh, and bring it to King's Landing and show it to Cersei to convince her that she needs to be on their side at least to uh, take out the Night King. Um, they tried to do this before when they sent an arm down there, uh, but it rotted away. Uh, before it got to King's Landing, so there wasn't really evidence, and they're just like, whatever, it's a dead arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there was a fear that it might happen again with the White, so they had to get it in a whole piece just to make sure that it actually uh, maintained its uh, its zombiness by the time it got there. Uh, and so a handful of the pretty much the baddest mofos you can find in Westeros. And what I like about this group, it reminds me of just like, uh, they meant, they refer to the Age of Heroes, where you had these very significant characters in Westerosi history um, that actually came together and took out the Night's King before in the Long Night, which was the original uh, battle uh, thousands of years ago. Uh, and I got the same, I was like, if this was the closest thing to, like, the Age of Heroes come together, it's kind of like this group, because you got the most charismatic, uh, best-skilled uh, warriors in, throughout the whole land, pairing together. So we got John, we got uh, Jor Mormont, we got uh, Tormund, we got Beric Dondarrion, Thoros Amir. Uh, we got Gendry who just pops up all of a sudden and is like, hey, you know what? I'm accepting my uh, fate as being Robert Baratheon's bastard. Let me grab this Warhammer and let me smash some skulls. Yeah. And, you, and that was great to see. And then you also have Sander Clegane, the Hound, uh, to wrap it all up. And, I mean, you can't ask for a better group of people to go on a suicide mission to actually um, get a white. Because they're walking into where an army of 100,000 are walking straight towards them. And are they going to be successful? The odds are not really in their favor. Uh, and uh, so once they get to the wall, 
they go out there and uh, they find a little patrol, uh, take out a white walker, they grab the white they have, but then the whole army's bearing down on them. And uh, they get to have uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a standstill because they're in the middle on a rock in the middle of a lake that the ice has started to actually thin and break. So the whites can't really get to them. And so they're just encircled. They're like, uh, we're either going to freeze and die or we just got to kind of wait this out and hope for the best. And um, before they do that, uh, they tell Gendry to run because he's the fastest. I guess that's because he's the smallest one, the youngest one of them. So he starts hauling ass towards Eastwatch by the sea again. Uh, and But it becomes a great uh, moment because you get Tormund like, just talking to all of them. Like He goes up to the hound and the hound... Uh, uses the word dick and like he's like what's a dick and he goes you know a cock and they have a funny little moment about that um he talks about how he's a gender so he's kissed by fire and that uh that makes him like super virile he's just using that anxiety that he feels and like letting it out on everybody um and you also have like uh undead polar bears attack him mm. and like take out Thor Samir and like it's really tough to see like Thor Samir is injured and then Beric takes the flaming sword and just lays it across his chest to colorize the wound yeah that's just uh that was uh, rough to see uh and um yeah if it, it looks hopeless but they get a word to Danny and Danny brings her dragons and you start to see the dragons go to town uh and the Night's King looking unimpressed as ever uh, he's like, uh, hold on a second. Hold Let me my, uh, just pull the hold my beer. ice javelin. <laughs> hold my beer. i got to take care of this real quick. Pulls out an ice javelin, and probably the most what-the-fuck moment of the series, uh, th- this season, uh, he takes out Viserion, and it is gruesome to watch, because once that javelin hits Viserion, like flames ignite out of his chest, there's blood and guts, falling out and he crashes into the ice lake and falls under the water and is uh it's really sad to see because these dragons are amazing no one wants to see these dragons hurt and we finally see after seeing the oppressive power of the dragons it's a huge turnaround huge shock to see how mortal they can be as mm-hmm. well uh and it's a uh, it looks like it's going to be hopeless but danny gets most of them out john stays back to let, make sure they get a clean getaway, uh, but he eventually um, gets trapped underwater. He gets out somehow. He's freezing, uh, and who but Cold Hands, Uncle Benjen, twirling about with his flaming um, sp- uh, spear of death, I guess is what you call it, <laughs> just knocking people left and right, um, gives uh, John his horse and says, make your way to Eastwatch. And so John gets out by the skin of his teeth. So it's a huge, exhilarating fight, and uh, it's very shocking to see, um, like, Danny's face, I think, spoke a million words that, uh, okay, I lost one of my children. It was one of her children that she just saw die. Um, there, This is very serious. And it's ultimately what convinces her to actually back John and, like, go north to uh, fight the uh, undead. Yeah, the sad thing about Viserion, for for me as a book reader, um, is that in the books, the dragons get a bit more characterization. 
in the show, the only real dragon that the viewer is taught to care about is Drogon because he's the main dragon and he's the one that Daenerys, it's Daenerys' favorite, you know, that's her, that's her baby. Um, but in the books, Viserion is definitively the most um, affectionate towards his mother. He, like, he is constantly trying to be on Daenerys' shoulder and even when she pushes him off, she he'll come up and curl next to him. Um, and so knowing that he was the one who died in this in this scene was heartbreaking for me as a book reader because like that's the mama's boy in the group that's the one that and Daenerys knows it that's the one that's her that's her little baby Viserion um, so it's particularly sad and I don't think that comes across in the show much um, but you know I'm sure other book readers kind of felt the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a tough moment to see because yeah. uh, we. We knew that something was gonna happen. Yeah, I just didn't know that. We, we never thought about like the magnitude of what's gonna happen from that, and uh, like really like looking at it to the point where the Thoris of Mir like dying was a, a way to say, "Hey, shit's real," and now nobody can be brought back to life. So like, especially Barrett Rhaenyrian, like now his number is like is kind of up, and he doesn't really have anything else to do but to live and to fight, and you know, and fight for the living. Whereas, uh, you know, then we see the Viserion go down. That was just that was just kind of tough to see, just because of at this point, like we had. They even mentioned it before. Uh, I think Jamie had talked about it in all the humans. There was nothing that you can do ab- about like having the dragon. Like basically, game over. G- game over, man. But now, you know, we can look at it. Of the Night King already knew he this he set this trap up for them. Um, you know, like, baiting them to, to take this one person, because, you know, like, oddly enough, right, there's only one person a part of that group that that wasn't, uh, that didn't fall down and, like, disintegrate when he killed one of the officers or generals. So, uh, Night King definitely set this up, because he, he kind of knew, I think, at some point, he kind of knew what was going to happen of it, and uh, he definitely got what he wanted, and they, it, it's, it's interesting to see of, you know, they talk about Daenerys has all these forces and how crazy and she can easily defeat the Lannisters and burn down the city if she wants, but once we turn north, you know, well, there's kind of no answers there, so it's going to be really interesting when uh, to see, you know, especially in the next season when everybody tries to band together to figure out, you know, what the F are they going to do about now that the Night King has a dragon... Not only about the firepower, but now about like the speed of what things can be done now. Because what's to say that now that it's actually snowing, it's actually snowing in the south and it's snowing in King's Landing. That was a beautiful moment. That you know, even we didn't even mention that when Jamie kind of pulled his glove over his gold hand to kind of cover that up, uh, and it starts snowing there. Like that's that's a huge, huge. Um, moment because it's always been sunny and uh, it's always been like beautiful weather but now it's actually snowing so it'll be interesting to see when winter has come if the entire so I think my goal like my theory that I think what's going to happen is the opening show like the opening dun 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 all that's going to be covered in snow or at least snowing or like there's going to be more snow instead of just in Winterfell and like just in the wall it's now going to be all covered in like some sort of snow um, and that'll be crazy to see what's going to happen. Yeah, and what's interesting about um, Daenerys when she makes this choice to help out John is that, like you said, she she has the, what she's been fighting for all her life uh, very close in her grasp. And after she sees what the consequences and 
what is the real threat. She's willing to, it actually turns her away from, I mean, what the Iron Throne, which is what she's always wanted her whole life. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know what? Something a little bit more important than the Iron Throne, which is just living. And it just comes down to that. Warren, um, I want to point out something you mentioned earlier, which is, what does it mean now that the Night King has a dragon? How will that affect the playing field? Um, something that's interesting is that when Cersei tells tells Jaime, um, I won't send my troops north, let the Northmen uh, fight the fight the Whites, and then we'll deal with what's left of them, mm-hmm. that's under the notion that the Whites and the White Walkers are walking from the north to the south. Now that the Night King has a dragon, it's possible that he doesn't have to stay with his troops. He can just fly down. Like, the entire story that we've gone through all these years has been nothing but war after war, which means that in its own way, Westeros is littered with corpses from all these battles. If the Night King raises people with an AoE, uh, area of effect, uh, for those of you who don't play like WoW. Thank, thank you. Thank you for that. My goodness. But yeah, he can raise... All he needs to do is be within a certain distance of corpses to raise them. If he flies Viserion past the actual battle, he they could flank King's Landing. They could flank the South by raising a whole bunch of dead at any of the battles that we've, that we've seen so far this season. Wait a second. So you're telling me I'm getting Robert Baratheon back? I'm getting Eddard? I'm getting the... I'm, if I get these people back as White Walkers, <laughs> I will well, lose my mind. I mean, well, Ned's not gonna have a head. <laughs> That's fine. He's just gonna be like, That's fine. I got no head. But he's. <laughs> what do you think happened? But, but what do you think happened at the uh, the, the uh, side of the loot train battle? Jamie and the rest of was up the forces just fled. They haven't yeah. had time to go and collect their dead. Um, so but, if the Lightning lands down there, he can just raise those bodies that weren't burned to ash. So I'm gonna even so, I'm gonna even press you a little further because if he does go to King's Landing, what's to say he can't resurrect the other dragons? They're bones, but who knows? Oh, I mean, we've specifically Valerian. Yeah, we've seen we've seen that head. that are yeah. just skeletons. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Dumb cunt, the white that uh, that that the hound hits with the stone <laughs> was just bones. Yeah. So if, if he could be raised, so then they could definitely raise the the skeleton of Galarian. Uh, and how many times have they shown? Galarian. Like how many have they? How many times have they shown that? And they mentioned it way back when. Mm-hmm. To now, if yeah. if the if, if he can, right? Yeah. If the Night King flies south and lets the his the armies do their battle in the north. That means that Cersei, with all of her plotting, is going to be stuck dealing with hordes of enemies and no army to defend her. And, you know, the rest of the coalition of, of the living is going to be stuck between two different fronts. Um, I don't know if they're going to go that route, but that's a really intriguing thought uh, for me. Yeah, one thing that um, also to fast forward towards uh, what we last see in this season is um, the consequences of raising the Syrian and creating dead Syrian. Is that um, he? He when he the White Walker version of a dragon moves so much differently, and I like that they did that. That this dragon, an undead dragon, is going to move differently. It's going to breathe fire differently. It's not just about having blue flames come out of his mouth. It's that he doesn't have to breathe, so he doesn't have to pause and refuel. He's constantly just blowing fire, and that's why he can take out. A chunk of the wall. Um, he's moving a lot faster in the air, even though he has holes in his wings. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks like a viable threat that 
is going to be tough to take out. And it does uh, leave you with a, just an utter sense of dread, like, okay, uh, Densarian means business. Um, there's nothing that can really stop this. Uh, we're all fucked. Is the feeling you get when you last see that yeah. moment. Yeah. Ugh. All right. Let's keep going. I'm going to toss this one over, and I see that there's uh, only three letters here. So, Mocha, can you explain to me this R plus L equals A? Hey. Yeah. So, this is an amendment. The previous formula was R plus L equals J, and this was a very longstanding fan theory. Um, you know, for those of you who don't know, the Song of Ice and Fire has been going on since 1996. This has been a long time, and people have been thinking about this for literally over two decades. Um but, uh, yeah, R plus L equals J is uh, Rhaegar plus Lyanna equals John. Um, there's been a big contingent of the fan community who was pulling for the notion that Rhaegar and Lyanna eloped as opposed to her being um, spirited away. And we finally got all that confirmation. But the important thing that, A, is that John's birth name, the one that was granted him by his mother, um, probably at the behest of his father, is he was named after Aegon the Conqueror. Um, he is the, I believe, the sixth of his name? Aegon um, the sixth. Yeah, Aegon the sixth, which is huge in a lot of different ways. Um, Aegon's throughout the lineage of, Ice, of the Targaryen dynasty, which you can read more about in the World of Ice and Fire compendium. Um, <laughs> Aegon's tend to be really important characters in the, in, in the dynasty. The last Aegon that we had was Aegon the Unlikely, who was Egg from the Duncan Egg novels, um, they're, they tend to be good leaders, and they tend to be important leaders. And the fact that John was named uh, for the Conqueror is speaks a lot to his significance, not just in, in the story itself, but in the eyes of his parents. You know, like Rhaegar and Lyanna, it turns out, were in love. They did, um, they did like run away together so that they could be together, um, and that's huge. And yeah, they got married. He annulled his relation, his marriage to Elia Martell. Um, poor Elia. After all she went through, she was uh, she had to watch her kids get smashed to death against walls. Um, that's actually how it's described in the books. They swung their bodies against the walls, um, and then she was raped and then killed by the by freaking Gregor Clegane, uh, which is horrible. And all of that uh, was done to her because she was still thought to be the queen when, in fact, her marriage was annulled yeah. uh, without them knowing. Oof. Really sad. Uh, but it's it's cool, you know. It's the history of Rhaegar and Lyanna is a bit more fleshed out in the books. Um, I'm going to do my best to paraphrase it, but basically there was a tournament at Harrenhal where Rhaegar won the tournament. Um, Rhaegar at the time was married to Elia, and before the tournament was ended, a mysterious knight showed up, um, and this knight was called the Knight of the Laughing Tree, um, he was uh, wearing armor that was sort of a hodgepodge, was made out of different bits, and had a shield that had a, a werewood, a smiling werewood on it. And this knight showed up to challenge the squires of, I can't remember who it was exactly, but the squires of another competing knight, who the night before had teased and beaten up um, Mira and Joe Jen Reed's father, um, Howland Reed, um, back when he was a squire. And that night before, Liana had chased them off and saved him from, from that embarrassing moment. Uh, the next day, this mystery knight shows up and um, defeats their, the knight that the squires were squiring for. 
And when he goes to request his, uh, or rather to ransom the horse that she won from him back, she tells him that he needs to discipline his squires and teach him how to act properly around other highborn lords. And then the knight run, like rides away without ever revealing who they are, and Rhaegar chases after them. And that's all the people who are at the tournament know. Later on, at the end of the tournament, because apparently life, the knight was never found, um, Rhaegar wins, and which is appropriate of the winner. He goes to crown the most beautiful woman in the crowd, who is supposed to be the, the, the queen of, of love and beauty. And everyone expected him to crown his wife, Elia Martell, the, the would-be queen when he rises to the throne. And instead, he crowns Lyanna Stark, which is a it's a cause of gasps and a whole bunch of uh, drama and talk among the, the highborn lords. Um, not long after that, Rhaegar, quote-unquote, kidnaps Lyanna, which is what triggers Robert Baratheon and Ned Stark um, to rebel against the crown and start Robert's rebellion, which is, you know, how he how the, the Targaryen dynasty was ended in the first place. That's the story we were all told, but what we now know is that he didn't kidnap Lyanna. He must have that day when she chased after the knight of the smiling tree, realized that it was her, and became overcome with not just her beauty, but the fact that she was strong and so fierce. And they ran off together to be in love. And it's a really... Plus Brandon Stark and Rickard Stark being murdered yeah that helped too but they were murdered as a result like it was all triggered from 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 that but what's what's interesting is that it's a really beautiful romantic um almost shakespearean sort of love story that results in everything becoming shitty for everyone (laughs) rhaegar dies the targaryen dynasty is overthrown all the stuff that came afterwards with the War of the Five Kings and the War of the Queens and like all the negative things that have come out of, of this entire series sort of spawned from that, that period of time. Um, and it's, you know, you have to wonder what, what, a, what a prince who is the heir to a throne could be thinking or what he could be feeling to throw all that away for a chance at, at love. Um, but, you know, it looks like it was the right choice. Lyanna is a Stark She's a badass. And the son they made is the ultimate badass that we see in the entire show. Mm-hmm. The prince that was promised. Um, so, you know, there's a question there that I think still lies in the minds of readers and viewers, which is, was it all worth it? And was it all just selfish behavior on their part? Um, but I think that we can all agree that it's, it's a cute little story. Um, and I'm happy that they actually had a legitimate relationship and it wasn't just some sad story about her literally being kidnapped and raped. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, what I like about John is, I mean, how he approaches... Who? What he's... (laughs) Fine. I'll call him Aegon. What I like about him and just his approach to family and what family means, like... You have back in season one, like Ned even tells him kind of like, you're my blood, even though you're not my child. Uh, And he's going to respect that wholeheartedly. Uh, And then you also have in this scene, he kind of has a similar, uh, has a similar uh, scene with uh, Theon Greyjoy about whose kid is he? About talking about like, are you a Stark? Are you a Greyjoy? He's like, you know what? You can be both. And I think that's going to tell a lot about how John approaches um, this new information, if it ever comes to light to him personally. Yeah. Uh, and um, and he's become a person that it's not about your blood that's going to make you a good person. It's about 
who did you learn from and how do you use those skills to make the place better? And John really, res- you can see John will respect that higher. That's why he holds someone like Torment in high regard versus like Rattleshirt as the exception. Yeah. And like, even though they're both wildlings, they both have different approaches to the same thing. Uh, and um, John has grown to be someone that's a leader that's looked up to. He's a king by choice uh, that was chosen. He's not a king by birthright or anything. So it might be telling that if he ever sits on the throne as Aegon the Six, uh, what type of leader he's going to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, I mean, I think it's definitely nice. I thoroughly enjoyed that moment because at one. And you have a guy who's a bastard with no name, with no name like tied to him, still saying, hey, I was raised at least, I can never give the Stark name, but I was raised as a Stark. And, you know, uh, as re- at one point, like, Ned Stark has me as, like, a bastard. And, like, it's he, like the most honorable person had me at a dishonorable moment. And that's, like, the worst thing to do. Whereas on the opposite side, you were taking from your family and... You tried to do what's best. You tried to kind of claim your namesake as much as possible. So I, you know, I thoroughly that that was like a very fatherly. That was a very Ned uh, moment of John to uh, give that and kind of instill that confidence back in Theon, who's also broken character, but definitely kind of find his way a bit in this, especially like taking all the licks and still kept coming. So um, I, you know, I think this was all like worth it. Um, I think it definitely is all worth it because, like, you know, in the end, you know, love conquers all, and it, you know, Robert was was in love with Lyanna, and that spawned him to do that. Whereas Rhaegar and Lyanna were in love with each other, that spawned to do that, and they knew what was going to happen, and so Lyanna was trying to entrust, you know, the uh, the Night of the Morning Star, right? The guy Star who, today. no, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 the Morning Star, Morning Star, uh, Arthur Day. The Night of the Dawn. The Night of the Dawn. Uh, um, so, you know, and then even after all that, because the love that he has for his sister uh, and, like, sibling love that Leanna entrusted Ned to share and hold that secret, and Ned took it to the grave. Um, so everybody does a lot of things um, for love in a lot of different ways and a lot of different things. Uh, and so if this, you know, R plus... Um, L equals A is that worth it I think it's absolutely worth it because in the end like love is going to conquer all and then we see the like, deranged parts of love but still you know with Cersei with Jaime with Tyrion with Danny, um, it's still a very powerful moment to see what, what's going to happen what, what has happened there and a lot of these decisions that people have made is because of some sort of form of love and it's not war and I think that's kind of funny that you see you have those two sort of different sort of um uh, categories you have these two different ideals of it could easily be about war and fighting and why that's actually happening but it, di- it didn't yeah war ended up happening because of it but it's, it really started with the love or like the the love and compassion that somebody has for something and really trying for that because the reason why i i think you know robert baratheon went is robert and Nedar was best friends at the time, and that ended, that ended up happening, and they were going to be kind of like, he's going to help him out as much as, as possible. And I know there's a bunch of other people like died and stuff like that too, but we, when it boils down to it, it's just like the relationships between each other. Yeah, and I want to give a great shout-out to the um, showrunners 
for casting someone as Rhaegar that looks almost exactly like Viserion. Weird. Because one thing is Viserion was obsessed with being his brother. And it was uh, really cool to see that, like, they got like kind of right to the minutia yeah. that it wasn't even the same actor, but it was someone that looked damn close to be. Yeah, I do like the fact that he looked like Viserion, but I do regret the fact that, at least from the angle that we saw him at, uh, Rhaegar is written, or at least described in the book, as being like as being tall and beautiful. Um, and I think that Viserion was always supposed to look like a Weasley version of his brother. So it was a bit of a bummer for me that they looked exactly the same, but it is cool to see that they got someone who does like have that sort of visible connection. Um, also, a quick correction, Arthur Dane was the Sword of the Morning, not the Night of the Dawn. I just want to make that correction. <laughs> oh, so, okay, so I said the Sword of the Morning starts, so Arthur Dane, Sword of the Morning, who was, yes. who was guarding, and he was a king's guard, and he wasn't there, and he was guarding, or he was guarding Lyanna. His sword is called Dawn, and that's what where the confusion came up. So he's Sword of the Morning, with the sword Dawn. Tons of confusion. Blue, is, Blue will yep. literally kill us as we're messing these up. He's like, oh, <laughs> Best Blue impression. What? What? Come on. Come on. <laughs> um, cool. All right. So, last bit. We'll talk about my second favorite character, at least before this season. Uh, I'm going to toss this over to uh, Brylin here. Uh, talk to me about the uh, Three-Eyed Raven, Bron. Uh, so, Bran has uh, decided to take on this mantle of the Three-Eyed Raven. And basically, he's become the Wikipedia for Westeros and has access to all knowledge. Not necessarily is he looking at it all at the same time. Um, so, he's not real. I wouldn't say he's omniscient, but he has connections through the Wayward Trees. He's. Uh, what they call the last of the green seers. So he can actually use his uh, green side to see what has happened before, uh, what is currently happening, and what may happen as well. And it actually makes him a very powerful and interesting character. Um, we see him like kind of start to make Littlefinger feel a little unnerved uh, about his place when he tells him chaos is a ladder because. He's showing Littlefinger proof that he uh, he knows what type of machinations Littlefinger is capable of doing. Even during Littlefinger's quote-unquote trial, um, he mentions uh, something about an event where he's talking about, I think it was um, about uh, killing Lysa Aaron. He's like, yeah, you pretty much did this, and I know that because I saw you do it. Uh, well, no, no, no. But, also, that, uh, but Sansa saw him do that. So yeah, Sansa saw him do that. Yeah. So um, I think it was it was he, something where he was he put, actually the, he put the knife on his else. neck. Yeah, when he put the knife on Ned Stark's neck and said, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like, yeah, "Yeah, I told you not to trust me from yep. season one." Yeah, uh, and also um, it also is actually questioning like Bran's humanity. So um, obviously he's a Stark still and people treat him like a stark but in this uh, in this mystic uh position of three-eyed raven and very fantastical magic that he has because this is essentially a way of magic that he's um actually going through him is that um is he still a human and he actually starts to kind of uh, lose uh connections that he had like Mira, who, I mean, it's obvious that Mira was, like, mad in love with Bran and wanted to have a lot of Bran babies, um, that um, 
he just says thank you for your service. He's very formal about it. Uh, he's very uh, he's very uh, like um, very cold and very distant from her, and and even from his sisters, he's like, I'm the I'm a three eyed raven. I can see what's happened. He's like. He even tells Sansa's like you look very pretty in your wedding dress, and he just brings back it the night that she was married to Ramsay Bolton and was raped. Oh, uh, so, such a weird very, scene. It's very in the way he says it is just devoid of any emotion. Where it's like, oh, that's kind of creepy. Um, but um, it's really cool to see like someone that is also a very knowledgeable character, like Samuel Tarley come over and like the first person he wants to see when he gets to Winterfell is Bran because they're book nerds and they want to share some knowledge and so <laughs> he breaks in and say, he comes into his room and he tells Sam he's the three-eyed raven and like Sam's got that very jovial oh. attitude like oh I have no idea what that means <laughs> and, and so like um, he is like talking about how John needs to know the truth about uh, his parentage that he's the bastard child of Rhaegar and Lyanna is like and Sam just kind of reminds him like hey kind of uh, check out that do that uh, search a little do that refine button on the search the three-eyed raven <laughs> <laughs> uh, it looks like um, it looks like one of the um, great art masters actually left some very detailed notes not only about his uh his bowel movements, but also about marriages that he annulled and marriages that he actually performed. And guess what? Uh, John is the true heir to the Iron Throne. Booyah! And uh, they have a really cool montage of uh, of uh, showing Rhaegar and Lyanna getting married, and Bran's there standing watching it happen. Uh, at, at the same time, John and Danny are having some sexy boat time. Nice. A, a quick statement about um, about Sam and Bran. First of all, the what wound up being the funniest episode, uh, moment from the episode, I was really surprised, came from Bran when he's telling Sam um, that John bent the knee to Daenerys, and Sam goes, "Oh, did you see that one of your visions?" And Bran just looks at him and just pulls up the scroll, and I just died. Like I was like, "Wow, like good comedic timing for someone who lacks any sort of personality." Yeah, uh, some great. good comedic timing. Um, also, shout out to people on Twitter for getting all worked up about nothing. Um, a lot of people <laughs> took to Twitter to um, express their frustration with the fact that. Gilly was the one who, in the previous episode, had read from the book saying that um, Maester, what's his name, um, annulled the marriage of Rhaegar and Elia. Mm -hmm. And then Sam, when he has a conversation with Bran, uh, took the credit for himself, quote unquote. Um, but the fact of the matter is, Bran said, or excuse me, Sam, Sam says to Bran, uh, that marriage was annulled. I like I saw that in a book that I transcribed. Uh, so, the fact of the matter was, the book that Gilly was reading from was transcribed, which means that Sam had already had that knowledge, he just probably didn't put two and two together, which is why he didn't pay attention to her when she mentioned it, because it had nothing to do with what he was worried about. Yeah. Uh, and to everybody who got online and actually like got all up on their Twitter and all up in their feelings about the fact that Sam took credit for Gilly's research, no, that's bullshit. That is not the case. Gilly was just there to make us aware of it as viewers ahead of time. Yeah. I mean, I was like, you know, I did, I did enjoy this scene. I love that comedic part of it. I just think, like, 
know, the destruction of Bran Stark is something that was a bit obvious and we saw a, a little bit of it, uh, but we didn't quite know. And like I was talking about with Arya a little bit, that's why I think all the Starks are cursed. Because um, Sansa's more like Cersei. Arya's not really Arya anymore. Bran is not Bran anymore. Um, Jon's not even a Stark. Theon's kind of tortured. Like, all the Starks have had some weird kind of curse uh, on them. And they've had some unfortunate, uh, a series of unfortunate events for, that happened with them. So we 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 have seen like the destruction of Bran Stark this entire series, and it started. And I think we really kind of glazed over it a little bit because this what we thought was an accident. But not only does Bran turn Hodor into Hodor because he doesn't know how to control his power, but he also has to be forcibly sacrificed Hodor and Summer, uh, and um, uh, Jochen, and. He has lost like everything stripped from him basically, and like now he, he, you know, he he can only do do what he can try to do, and his goal is to try to keep the living alive, sort of thing, as much as possible. But um, it's very sad to see like a, such a lovable character because I think a lot of people like really enjoyed and like Bran. To now they, I think they on intentionally on purpose like made everybody dislike Bran because he's so like distant and he's so unless he's gonna change but he is now he can't be that person so I think it's a, I think it's a powerful move I think it's like you know it's not a fan favorite of course no but I think it's a choice I think it's a powerful choice to make a character that's so likable to s just switch him the head and if you can have like that you know emotional um like appeal of oh man I really hate what they did to Bran that means it's working like they've done something with that character that's affecting you uh, and I think that's pretty cool to do. It's it sucks because I'm sure that he can do a lot more stuff with that power, but in the end, some you know, everything's gonna have to have some sort of consequence. And I at least love in this uh, in that scene where Bran, you don't know everything. Yeah, you know, he even says to Littlefinger like, oh, even before that, he sees everything. He even said to Sam, "I see everything," and he actually didn't know everything, and so now that's gonna that should open up a couple of doors and open up a, a bit more vulnerability of like oh brand you don't know everything so now what do you do and how do you amass this knowledge and now you really have to like figure out and really it's a mix between what you can try to go back and see on your own and probably looking through like these books in like old town and like really piecing everything together um will be interesting to see um because now and it's my theory. Again, you know, now uh, I think somebody also had to talk about this. It's not my theory personally, but, you know, the best person who's going to have the ability to, who's not a good fighter, but very, very smart, and has the ability to, like, know a bunch of the skills of being a maester. Well, he has, he doesn't need to be an old town. He has an old town, a better old town in front of him right now. And he has Bran who knows everything. So what's the point of being in Old Town anymore when you can go to Bran and do it? Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool to like put those two characters together um, at the end of it right here. Yeah, yeah. I see uh, Bran as, I mean, it's kind of like Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Like he, he has become one of the most powerful people in Westeros and beings in Westeros. But he, he kind of like it's like it's not him to make these ultimate choices. Uh, it's him to help and assist and be uh, supportive of what's going to be the right decision. But the outcomes, he knows that if he tries too hard, and the example is Hodor, 
that if he tries too hard to control the outcomes of these events, that he could cause irreparable damage mm. to like the past or the present or even the future. We haven't seen uh, any future brand stuff yet, but who knows what he's capable of. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm fascinated by some of the dialogue in this episode because I had always assumed that his ability to green sea gave Bran the ability to to view the future. Um, but he says to Sam specifically, um, and Warren, you touched on this a little bit, but when Sam, Sam asks him about his visions, he says, um, well, first of all, he says, I, I, rem- I remember everything. And then he says, it means I can see, I can see everything that has happened. I can see everything that's happening. But he stops there. He doesn't say everything that will happen. And that's fascinating for me because... A, it's a limit to his power, which is very impressive, but still, you know, there's there's potential consequences that can come from that. That means that he can make a decision about the present and have it be a mistake in certain, you know, depending on how it unfolds, because he doesn't necessarily have future sight. Um, but it is also interesting too. Now that he knows that there's enough, there are enough things in the past that are worth seeing, mm-hmm. like just like the actual wedding ceremony for Liana and Rhaegar. What is that going to mean for him moving forward? Is he going to spend more of next season actually poking around in the past, trying to explore different things and learn more? Is he going to start going beyond, like reaching beyond what he knows is right and start meddling with the past? Um, I think there, there's. A potential for some interesting developments from that, and I don't think Brand's out of account yet in terms of his significance to the story. Oh, man. I love it. I love it all. All right. So we went through, like we talked about, you know, uh, this episode. We talked about the few of uh, the few episodes. I'm gonna toss it over, Brylink. Uh, you know, kind of lasting thoughts, some wins, some criticisms about, you know, uh, Game of Thrones season seven, and then also I'll have you in with your grades um, on this. So talk to me. What you got? <laughs> Uh, so I would say I have a couple of criticisms for this season. So um, I would say the biggest issue that the season had would be the pacing. And it's probably because of the choice of shortening uh, the seasons to uh, eight up. Ep- was it seven episodes? Seven, um, seven episodes yeah. this season. Yeah, seven episodes, even though the uh, some of the final episodes were a bit longer. Um, you could tell that they are in rush mode to finish this story. They got to start to converge these storylines and bring them together to, hey, there's an inevitable end. And I think that causes some, uh, some side effects. So you're going to see like things become a bit more predictable. Uh, you're going to start to see uh, things not be as shocking, where this whole uh, show was kind of the appeal was it was who's going to die a shocking death this season or this episode that we're never expecting and it's actually started to find equilibrium where things are kind of expected but it's still entertaining and fun um it's uh, also uh the uh, the big like character that is just not doing anything this season is you're on Greyjoy. Um, he's, uh, he's kind of a piece of shit character wise and acting wise. And he was there for the first couple episodes to kind of get the Martells out of the way. Uh, and then he's just taking up screen time whenever you see him. And he's not really like, um, he doesn't really characterize like a pirate of Westeros as I would see it as well. Um, but ultimately, um, I would say I'd give this season an A. It still had a lot of uh, 
lots of huge entertaining factors, a lot of great character moments, um, especially with a great supporting cast. Um, I've been talking about Torment a lot, but also got to give it up for my boy Davos, who actually is always uh, there to kind of just make things a little bit more real, like... Uh, one nice thing is when the Sandy like introduces uh, Daenerys in the um, in Dragonstone, she has her ramifications of titles, and then Davos is just like, uh, "This is Jon Snow." <laughs> it's just like very blunt and everything. He also teases Jon about um, um, like liking Daenerys a lot, and uh, just like egging him on, just like, "Oh, yeah, you're looking at more than just her attributes as a leader and stuff." Uh, and uh, he's just a very wholesome character that I hope good things end up for Davos that he finally um, gets gets to sit in a castle and be like a fair ruler among a, um, among a lord or something or become one of the region lords because, uh, I mean, he's earned it. He definitely is a great leader and uh, definitely has an honest uh, head on his shoulders as well. Uh, so I'm gonna give this season an eight. Nice, cool. Uh, Mocha, what you got for me? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna try to run through this as soon as possible. Um, all of our lovely listeners at home, I've already heard my voice for far too long today. Um, but in terms of big wins for this season, uh, they finally started to connect the major point of views, uh, or at least point of view characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we finally get to see everyone come back together. The Starks are reunited in Winterfell. Daenerys has finally set foot uh, in Westeros and has met up with Cersei and Jon and everybody. Um, And it just feels good. It's a huge payoff as a fan who's been so invested in this show for so long to see all these disparate elements finally come together in meaningful ways. Um, Also a huge win for this season was the fact that with the Whites and the White Walkers, with the um, intensity of the dragon's involvement in this season with all of Bran's green sight, with the fire reading from characters like the Hound. Um, you know, this show is really letting its fantasy aspects flourish, and we're finally getting to see all these mystical things happen um, all together instead of just random pockets of high fantasy throughout. Um, that's really enjoyable for me. Um, and also a huge shout out to every single person on the creative team who has worked to make these action scenes so amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this really incredible mix that they're doing between uh, practical and special effects. And it's actually executed. Some of these episodes, with the highlight being the loot train uh, seat attack by Drogon, is just like visually stunning and breathtaking. And I encourage anyone listening to seek out HBO's behind the scenes videos they have on YouTube. And just watch just the amount of work that actually goes into some of these scenes because it is staggering. So a huge shout out to the creative team that's you know that's out there working. For criticisms, I feel like in this season it's really obvious that without George R. R. Martin there to kind of force the showrunners' hands on characters' deaths, the showrunners are um, showing the typical kind of cowardice that you see from TV executives who don't want to kill off significant characters. Um, I don't think that Thora should have been the only one to die during the, the uh, range out beyond the wall. Um, I think that, that there should have been more deaths and more significant deaths there. Um, you know, we saw the wall fa- fall down in the last, uh, last episode of the season. Tormund and Beric were on top of the wall. We know it takes about 45 minutes to ride that elevator down the wall <laughs> when you're at, when you're at the uh, Castle Black, let alone at Eastwatch, which is under-repaired. 
there is no possible way that when that entire section of the wall fell into the sea, that they're fine. But I know that next season is going to start with them poking their head out of, this, out of the snow and being like, oh, man, we made it. Got to go warn Winterfell. And that's bullshit. <laughs> um, they should be dead. And I don't want them to die. But it's just a shame that, you know, TV execs are cowards, whereas George R. R. Martin is a cruel, cruel god. Um, also, now that the show has gone beyond the books, it kind of feels less like it's focused on the nuance of the characters and more on just hitting typical fantasy story tropes, um, which is fine because I know that so long as he doesn't die, um, the proper books will be coming out in sometime within the next 20 years. Um, but it is still <laughs> unfortunate that we're seeing these some of these like notes being hit that seem more you know, that they're being done because of what it's expected as opposed to trying to really draw out like the most from this narrative. Um, I agree with you, Bryland. Euron Greyjoy, or at least the TV version of him, is trash. He's a terrible addition to the TV canon, and he's super ham-fisted and doesn't fit in with any of the other characters and does, should not be there anymore. And I hate that he's still significant, quote-unquote, beyond, like you said, the raid on um, the... Iron Bo- the Iron Fleet and the capturing of Yara. Like I don't need to see him anymore. I never wanted to see him in the first place. The way he was depicted, he's got to go. Um, in additional Greyjoy hate, Theon is still relevant, and I think that's bullshit. I don't care about him. I don't care about his redemption arc. Um, it takes away time and content for content for characters and plot lines that will actually have an impact. Um, and also regarding his like really impressive fight uh, on the shoreline at the end of this episode, lacking genitals is not a superpower. He should not get kneed in the groin and then just smile like he's like, haha, I've got no dick. And then, <laughs> and then win the fight. That shit hurts. Ask anyone. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, as long as you have nerves and skin, it, I mean, it's going to cause some pain. Yeah, there's no reason <laughs> that, that. Like, oh, I was. My blood boiled when I saw that scene. Screw Theon. Write him out of the show immediately. Um, and then finally, like, my, big critic, my last big criticism is that. Because the show's being rushed, there's a lack of significance in the battles that happen outside of pure spectacle. You know, the, the Unsullied were trapped at Castle Lily Rock. How did they escape? That was a siege. They should have. That means that they had to march across all of Westeros. What does that look like when an Unsullied army without their leader is marching across an entire country to get back to them on King's Landing, which is on the other side? Like, that's significant. When, when Ray Worm said, all right, guys, let's run. Yeah, let's just run it. Um, when... <laughs> When Daenerys attacks the uh, the, the combined forces of the Lannisters and the and the, um, uh, the troops from Highgarden, and absolutely decimates them, that is that is that was their full force. That should have won the war immediately. And you know, in previous seasons, we had a lot of talk about troop numbers mattering and the size of forces mattering and battles being lost mattering. Ma- yeah, um, but in this season, it was just a thing that happened to have the dragon fight scene. And, like, Cersei is still going on as if she has an army. The army was wiped out. There's still banners, but the bulk of their forces were wiped out. So I don't know how that, like, like there's there's no significance there. Um, but I get it. It's more for the spectacle than anything else. Was the um, train, like, a majority of their force, or was it just a tiny Yeah, because remember that uh, that Tyrion said that Jaime took all of the Lannister forces from Casterly Rock down to Highgarden, um, to take to take over, so it was a show of force against Atlanta Tyrell, and also they abandoned all of the Western territories. So even if it wasn't the entirety of their army, that was a massive crippling loss for them. Um, so I, it, it sucks that that was that, that it doesn't matter anymore because it's just about again hitting those fantasy tropes. Mm-hmm. The big battle happened. Now we have to go to the next scene. Um, that gets me. I mean, that's sorry. That gets my gears going. Like maybe next season, 
Jamie's gonna go by River Run and grab all the Lannister soldiers there and then yeah. ride to Westeros or yeah, ride to that, Winterfell. Yeah, with two thousand troops. Thanks for helping out, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> um, It'd be cool to see you though. Yeah. Overall, though, like I mentioned in the, the teaser uh, earlier, this was the season was amazing in terms of fan service and just giving us what we wanted in terms of action and excitement and seeing characters do their thing. Overall, I'm going to give it a B. It's a high point for spectacle and fan service, but not a high point for the series as a whole. Right. Yeah, I mean, in the, so to wrap it up, I'm going to have to actually kind of echo, you know, what uh, you guys have been saying a bunch of, you know, I still am, I'm still enjoying... You know, it's pro- I'm probably more on the uh, fan service sort of train, but I'm still enjoying a lot of these weird sort of character moments of, you know, seeing Arya with Nymeria uh, and, like, what happens there. But, you know, that also could be, like, a play at, you know, the books because we know we haven't seen a Nymeria since season one. So, you know, they actually kind of put that in. Like, seeing Arya kind of talk to High Pie, you know, seeing Brienne kind of talk to... They, they took some time with some of these moments that they chose to do, and I think that when they chose some they took their time with some of these moments and they was very powerful um even the Tyrion you know um Tyrion and Cersei scene because Tyrion and Cersei haven't been in the same room together for some time and they haven't even had a scene by themselves in one room together you know besides you know Robert Strong um they haven't had a scene like that in in a while and just seeing two like actors of Lena Headley and um oh crap uh, Peter Dinklage uh, their performances just about every like typically, typically they always seem to outperform everybody in the scene. So it's now it's it's very powerful. It's very it's very fun to see them two in the scene by themselves, um, really kind of going at it and not only like literally as actors and actresses going at it, but now like these are powerful characters still going at it and saying that hey I'm right, hey I'm right, hey I'm right. Um, so I like some of these moments that they actually kind of put in the scene, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm pretty excited. Just overall, I'm just enjoying really excited. It felt like this season was very different, but it still brought a lot of hype. Um, the season was very different because they really kind of went off of uh, like known of the source material that's not there, and really had to say, you know what? Like I, I commend them for uh, definitely taking a stab at something, doing something about it, and uh, either a not waiting or or b. Uh, just doing it wrong and they at least trying to do it at least their way it could be it, it definitely felt rushed and kind of going into the criticisms of being in field rush and uh kind of messy and not too much we probably need some more time and i think you know having a regular season of 10 episodes probably could have worked and kind of taking out some of these things that we probably didn't need um arguably right i love my sandy and i love the um gray worm sex scene uh, but probably didn't need it there's there's things that we didn't need and i guess you know also kind of going off my criticism as much like you guys have said i'm not going to echo that telling about different things right like i think it was impactful earlier on when you know the most amount of uh characters most amount of main characters we've seen die at once was the red wedding and that's right or the uh, explosion of the uh definitely the explosion of the okay so, no, well, okay, fair, fair, yeah, good call. Um, but so we have those two scenes, and like, look how impactful those two scenes are. So, this is like it's less of a criticism. It's kind of like I'm in the gray area because I'm interested to see. You know, we don't really have a lot of moments when a lot of important or role characters are in there and they end up dying a lot. But from those two moments, Scepter Baylor, like the Sep blowing up and um, the Red Wedding, those were powerful moments 
nobody dies. That's that's definitely a criticism. Not as many people die, right? You have arguably uh, two people die. We we don't know if Cold Hands died, right? But we do know Thoris of Mir died, and then a bunch of other no-named people who no one cares about. So we have like two people die, but now that's a bummer. But now we're setting up for we have a lot of important characters all in one place. And it's almost like a Harry Potter book seven moment of a lot of people are going to be dropping like flies to the point where there's this is battle. This is war. Like we can't even have chance to like um, grieve, like to, to, to feel any of that for these people because there's still a battle going on. Um, and I think that's also going to be shown for a very powerful moment. So I'm excited to see how they're going to end up doing that because there's going to be a lot of characters who, sadly enough, are going to have to die. Um, and I think it's going to be in succession. I think it's going to be quick. And I, arguably, I think we're going to start this next season off with like at least two of these people dying in the first episode, uh, maybe more. But now we're going to get these succession of deaths. That we won't be able to handle it. And I think that's also going to bring and that's going to up the stakes a bit more. And uh, I'm I'm pretty pumped to see uh, what happens. And um, I really hope that the you know the Song of Ice and Fire and this entire series isn't about humans versus white walkers or former humans but this really needs to be about human versus human and people first people and ultimately people suck and i think that's something that he wanted to say because uh you know just as an example of what we're talking about the starks the starks are not good people like they're not the good guys quote unquote they may be good people they may be better people but they're not the good guys of this like i don't think we can even label anybody as a good guy in this entire sort of series at all like john could be but john has also done some messed up things and not as bad as you know cersei forever but still um it's interesting to put everything there and say you know people are flawed and things happen from that so i really want to know um you know the overall sort of theme of you know exactly what George R. R. Martin is trying to kind of say, and it'll be uh, it's interesting, and I'm I'm excited about this next season, and I'm also excited about the next book, uh, to see exactly what happens there. Yeah, well, that's been like the strong suit of this entire series, especially with the books, is that it's about the world of gray. It's not about good versus evil, black versus white. It's about like who has power, who doesn't, uh, who's going to be able to survive. Or who's going to be able to uh, find a way to tolerate something they may not like and kind of go along with it? And they've done a great job up until this point, where like this final season, this next to last season that we just had, it's kind of being like more lines are drawn into more black and white story. That kind of takes away from what is the appeal of Game of Thrones or the song, A Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, overall, like, my grade's gonna be an A for it. Like, I'm super excited about, uh, I'm excited about the show. Like, I know that it has ups and downs, and I know that have a lot of downs with some of the character moments they have, but I'm more focused on, like, they actually made that choice for a, a bigger, uh, something bigger to come or something better to come. Uh, and it's not like, a, hopefully, I think they've actually made that choice. Uh, but it's not perfect, and I don't think anything's gonna be perfect, but they at least gave me a lot of, uh, interesting character moments and a lot of, like, character-driven things, which... Uh, sometimes didn't doesn't really happen, and it's not like filled with torture scenes and filled with battles like some of the previous seasons have been. Uh, this one, although I had these, like, I had some of those things, it still gave it a chance to just talk to dialogue and just have people, two people sitting in a room, kind of talking. Um, so I'm still give it a name, and I still enjoy the show. Yeah. Cool. So, 
we're excited, we're pumped, and we're probably a little tired. So, we're super pumped to talk about way more of Game of Thrones. We can definitely find a bunch of our work. Uh, we're going to get into everything that we can still find, all of our work. Brylin, where can I find more of your work? Uh, so, you can find me um, tweeting for the next to last ever tweets at Twitter, at Brylin, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Uh, and you can also find my many movie reviews on um, Instagram at I am Brylin. I actually recently posted a little bit of a video game like experience review about uh, the Destiny 2 public beta. And so that way, um, if you are interested more about like uh, our gaming interests, join us for our GameCast on Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash downfrontpodcast. Nice. As always, it's good to see your face and hear your voice. So thanks so much. Thank you. Mocha, where can you find more of your work? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, chatting about all things uh, Game of Thrones, Marvel, and everything in between. Um, at Mocha Mike Li, as the Lord intended. Um, unfortunately, it is not Mocha Mike because the person who owns the Mocha Mike account is the Night King himself, and is totally unimpressed with the internet or doing anything with Twitter. And he's just holding it. He's just holding it because he's a monster. He's an emotionless monster made of ice. Um, but don't worry. One day, one day we'll get him. Um, you can also find some of my photography, which has nothing to do with either Game of Thrones or Marvel, on Instagram. That's at Mocha Mike. And you can follow me on Medium as well, where I do a lot of writings about topics that interested me, interest me, as well as longer form discussions on my thoughts on the sort of movies and shows that we review here on Down and Front Podcast. Um, that's medium.com slash at Mocha Mike. Medium.com slash at Mocha Mike. Cool. Thanks, as always. Uh, always good to see your mocha-ish face. So, that's uh, it's a beautiful. It's a beautiful. And we are the Down to Front Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Warren, with Brylin, with Mocha. We're super excited. And we're. Th- I want to say thanks, everybody, so much, because this is going to be a very good episode for not having Game of Thrones for a good amount of time. It's very sad. So Possibly two years. Yeah, it could be. They don't yeah, know. They don't know. 2019. Yeah. So, and uh, uh, actually, we just got a raven in. Um so there's a there's a special email you can reach us at it's uh, Jesse plus Bluet equals that uh, douchey white that Sandra Clegane was throwing rocks at at ymail.com <laughs> just barely made it in the character cat <laughs> yeah. just barely my goodness that would not be in the tweet oh uh, so Donna from podcast so we have Twitter we have Facebook we have a bunch of stuff so definitely find us at Twitter at underscore D-I-F-P that's underscore J-F-P stands for Down in Front Podcast uh, find us on Facebook facebook.com slash Down in Front Podcast as well um, it's on Apple Podcasts we're on Stitcher we're on a Google Play Store we have a YouTube channel that we are posting the link in our so definitely go out like watch our videos subscribe to us it'd be awesome just to get any feedback of things that we can do a bit better and we're trying to put more and more content out there so definitely kind of shout out for that uh, we have an email so if you want to request a show a movie if you want to be on the show feel free uh, down in front podcast at gmail.com we'll definitely be there we respond as quickly as possible um, just to talk about just anything or if you even want to talk and just kind of hang out and says hey you know what like I had some questions about this episode feel free to kind of rate us in iTunes you know rate us in the Apple podcast rate us wherever platform you use put in the comment I guess today I, I like the question that Bradley posed you know who's your MVP 
of you know season seven of Game of Thrones. So I would say put that answer and just talk about a com uh, talk about a review, talk about a comment in there because I'm really interested to see why people choose some of these other characters. So that would be pretty cool. Um, and if you want to definitely help us out, you know we do all this for free. Uh, we take a bunch of time. We're super dedicated and it's super awesome. Just for one dollar, you know, and I'm holding up a dollar bill for right now. Uh, you know, just for one dollar, it's an Arizona iced tea. You know, this time probably do the Alma Palma version because you know it's pretty late. And you need you know, a little lemonade to kind of ease out the night. Um, just for one dollar at patreoncom podcast uh, to help us out. We have a bunch of different tiers. Uh, anything and everything will be awesome. Super super helpful. Just for us to go out there, watch the movies, put more content out, get more guests on, and really get more and more amazing content out there. So, uh, we will say thank you so much. Uh, we shall finish our wine and say we love you. And we will see you soon. Bye. What is dead may never die. Don't creep outside the sex store. Peace. <laughs>